0: Okay, so I know I've already kind of gone on and on about my obsession with comedian Jim Gaffigan. Sorry to bring it up again. Um, but when I, when I read this passage and began to think about this message, I just, I couldn't help but think of his book, Food, A Love Story. And the cover, I mean, it says it all, right? <laughs> doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's enough right there. Um, but, and I, I mean, no disrespect to Mr. Gaffigan, but this is as close to a religious work as we get these days, okay? And I, I love food, but man, this guy loves food. I mean, this, this book, it is, it is a worship experience. In fact, it even ends with a benediction. Like, I'm not, I'm not making this up, right? You know, a benediction, that's how we end our services, you know, go in peace, you know, bless you. I mean, he He ends with one of those. He essentially says, I love this as a reader, right? He essentially ended with with something like this. May your coffee always be strong. Uh, May your your guacamole always be chunky. And may your cheese always be sharp. Amen to that, right? I mean, I I can get into this as much as anybody. Believe me, I mean, food is practically a religion in my life as well. I I totally get it. In fact, if I could... I mean, if, if I could sell it, I, I could also write a 352-page love letter to food, right? That's, that's what this book is. Because there's just something about it, right? For me, when, when I enjoy it, when I'm excited about it, I, I want to express it. I want to share it. I want, you know, come with me on this adventure of, of whatever, it, whatever it is I, I happen to be eating. Now, now maybe, maybe it's not food for you. I don't know what's wrong with you if it's not. Um, but maybe... Maybe it's not. Maybe it's sports. Okay. Uh, how many? How many of you like last weekend were watching as Mustakis hit a grand slam and got nine RBIs in a single game? Right. It doesn't matter where you. I mean, you'd be like in the basement by yourself watching it on TV. You don't even have to like baseball or the Royals. You, you've just you've got to stand up and cheer in that moment, right? Or when K State wins in triple overtime, right? I mean, you can't not. You know, it's just it's in us. It just kind of comes out, right? And maybe it's it's not sports, right? Maybe it's a beautiful piece of art and you're just struck by it. Maybe it's the perfect song or a great movie or a perfect piece of of literature. Maybe maybe it's just a day at the beach. Maybe it's the new iPhone, right? If you're a particular nerdy, right? Kids, maybe it's the newest, biggest Lego set, right? I dare you not to express it. I mean, it's sort of like, You know, in in a new romantic relationship, uh, you cannot help but praise one another, right? And the things that you say to each other, the things that you say to your friends about one another, I mean, it's disgusting, isn't it? And and yet we do that. And now some of you have kids, right? And you know that nobody wants to hear about them. And yet you cannot help but tell them, right? And And I can't help but tell you about mine. You see, we cannot help but praise what we love. You can't help it. I mean, I don't care who you are, right? What your background is, whether you're religious or, or not religious at all, right? When you experience something amazing, exciting, we cannot help but worship. I dare you to try, right? When, when you feel it like welling up within you, keep it to yourself. Shh. Don't enjoy it. Don't tell anybody. Just sort of squelch that feeling, right? As part of you dies, right? We cannot help but worship and what we love the most we worship the most now some of us already kind of feel a little bit tension here right because if you know anything about the bible or christianity or maybe just intuitively you know well if there is if there is a god then he is the one who deserves our our highest worship he should be the one that highest praise highest delight and and, and all of that, we, we know that. We, we can't help but worship. I think, I think we'd all agree with that. And yet, for some reason, when it comes to worshiping him, all of a sudden, it gets really hard, doesn't it? Because I'm an, I'm an expert at praising his gifts, right? And, and relishing in the things that he gives. But I am, I am pretty lousy at worshiping the giver. I mean, I'll, I'll let it all out watching the playoffs, right? Right? while at the same time look bored sometimes when I'm sitting in here. I mean, I will proclaim the good news of Google Fiber to all of my neighbors, okay? Uh, But when it comes to the the gospel of Jesus, I don't know, let's, they won't go there. I can spend an entire day delighting in God's good creation, rejoicing in all of its pleasures, and not even think to give him a nod for inventing it. What's wrong with me? We can't help but worship, but I actually prefer lesser things, and and we know we know that God demands so much more. We just don't know how to get there. Well, this is where Psalm 104 comes in for us this morning. We've been in the Psalms these past several weeks, This, this ancient of ancient prayer books asking how do, we, how do we connect with this God? How, how do we pray to him? How do we have, you know, in the mystery that it is, right, how do we have any sort of, of real relationship with this, this God who, who created us? And we, we've learned about confession, and last week we spent time with, with the difficult subject of lament and, and the pain of expressing our pain to him, but now it's, now it's about adoration and delight. And we've chosen Psalm 104, To be our guide this morning. And we know know how hard this is for most of us, maybe even all of us. And so we're gonna try very simply this morning to answer three questions. First of all, why is worshiping God so difficult? Uh, Second, why is this God our God? Why is it even worth all the trouble, frankly, if it's so hard? And third, how do we how do we do it? How do we actually get started? Where do we learn the language of adoration? Okay, first, why is worshiping God so difficult? It feels awkward, right? It feels a little weird. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to feel, right? We want to muster up certain feelings within us. And, and frankly, if I'm honest, other things just grab me a whole lot more than he does, right? I'm much more enamored with, with his gifts, right? They grab my, my heart more. And so Psalm 104, it begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great, and that's that's like about as far as I get right there when I'm trying to worship. Uh, so God, you're you're great. Um, are we done here? Can I talk about me for a while? Um, right. But this the psalmist, the show off, he goes on for another 34 verses here. But I love how he begins. Bless the Lord or praise the Lord, O oh my soul. He's commanding his soul to worship. He's telling himself what he needs to do. We we are born worshipers, you and I, every one of us, and yet the psalmist knows how prone we are to worship anything but this this God. And so he begins this hymn of praise simply telling himself what he must do, telling himself to get it together. This, This is the direction in which we praise. And I think it's difficult for us then for three reasons. I mean, if even the psalmist, right? And this, is, this isn't the only psalm where that phrase appears, but even the psalmist has to tell himself what to do, right? So I think it's, I think it's difficult for three reasons. First, at least for some of us, uh, worshiping God feels awkward or difficult or whatever you, word you want to use. Um, first off, because honestly, God just seems a little self-centered, doesn't he? I mean, all this praise me, praise me stuff, Right? I mean, you, you got to admit, right? I mean, he's constantly... I mean, if you had a friend like that, right? Or, or, you know, some needy kid, look at me, look at me, look at me. I mean, it's just it's exhausting after a while, isn't it? Here, here's the difference, though. When, it, when a human says, I'm the best, praise me, um, there's two things happening there. First of all, they're probably not the best. Really good chance, Right? They think they are, which makes it even worse, uh, but you know better, right? And so it's, it's yeah. Um, and second of all, they want you to praise them, not for you, right? Not for your benefit, but for their own, right? Because it you know, oh it just feels so good, right? We, lo- we, love, we love the adoration of, of, of others. And yet, when God says, I'm the best, praise me, well, there actually is no one greater, first of all. We'll get to that in a second. So there is nothing higher than him. And so what that means then, if that's, if that's true, if he really is the, the highest, the greatest, then to praise anything else more than we praise him is actually to deceive ourselves. It's to put something in, in place of him and to rob us of, of the joy of, of, of him. It's, it's to miss out on what he has for us. For example, C.S. Lewis, uh, he, he writes on his book on the Psalms, he says, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Now, this is really important as we think about this subject. It doesn't, when, we, when you praise something or someone, it doesn't just express it. It completes it. it it's part of the satisfaction. That, that there's, there's pleasure in the praising, right? And we, we know this, right? Uh, when lovers in the midst of passion praise one another, they're not doing it out of duty. Oh, I should really say something nice, Right? That's, that's not what's happening there. It's, it's because the, there's, there's pleasure, is heightened, the delight is, is intensified. I mean, otherwise, it's, it's like having a, a great joke to tell, but nobody to tell it to, right? It's like taking the, the perfect picture and having no one with whom to share it. There is, there's pleasure in the praising. And so without being able to express it, the pleasure itself is diminished. It somehow becomes less if you, if you can't let it out. And so if you're following this, what this means, then if God is is truly the highest praise, uh, then our highest pleasure is found in praising him. Uh, Which which then, therefore, right, means, if you're following all this, uh, that God, for God not to command us to worship, he would be robbing us of our greatest joy. That it's, it's actually grace that God says, worship me. Because in me, he's saying that's that's where the satisfaction is, that's that's where the joy lives, that's where your greatest delight will be found. And so, for him not to say, "Hey, look at me, I'm awesome," it would actually damage us. It would hinder us from greatest delight. It's it's his grace to, to do so. fact, just imagine um, going to Arrowhead, um, but imagine like there's this rule there that you can't cheer. Right? Yeah. Shh. It's like golf. No yelling. No standing. No clapping. No singing along or, or dancing. You know, none of that, right? I mean, I'm not even that big of a football fan, but I've been to Arrowhead enough to know that that would completely destroy the experience, wouldn't it? I mean, it would suck all the joy and life out of, out, of, out of the moment, right? And God is saying to us, let it out. That, that is your joy. That is where satisfaction, Liz. Just let it out, people. That's what he's saying. But, you know, it's not our only, our only problem. I mean, yeah, maybe we wrestle with whether or not God is self-centered, but problem number two, and, you know, this, this hits me, we just love other stuff more, right? I mean, that's, other stuff grabs my heart more than God does. We don't actually believe that he is our highest pleasure. It's been said that all of our problems are actually praise problems, um, that all of our problems, all of our sins really come down to just a misordered love, a misordered worship, that, that we love things, but we love them in the wrong order, right? So you love certain things way too much uh, and other things not nearly enough, right? Uh, and so that, that all, of our, all of our problems, our relational problems, our internal problems, uh, end up being being praise problems. And, and so for some of us, myself included, we simply just, we got to begin by confessing that to God, right? We just, we just love other things way more. We're, just, we're more enamored with his gifts than we are with the giver. And we need to ask him, God, would you, would you put those things back in order? Would you, would you take them apart? Would you dismantle, which is painful, right? Would you dismantle my loves, my heart, and rebuild them in the order in which they, they ought to be? I mean, otherwise, I mean, you, you become what you worship, right? I mean, I think we know that. And so if, if you worship money, if that's your highest goal, your highest satisfaction, your greatest joy, then you're going to become the kind of person that for, for you, accumulation is everything. Achievement, stuff, grabbing on, taking, no matter what the cost. And at the end of the day, you're probably going to end with a really deep bank account but a very shallow soul. We become what we worship. Whatever you put in that place, you're going to become that kind, that kind of person. And even the very act of praising him Hey, soul. praise him. Even the very, very act begins to change what we love. And over time, over time, those loves be, get reordered. They get put back in the place in which they, they ought to be. We love first things first and last things last. And worship begins to come more naturally. A third problem here. I mean, this one is especially true, I think, for those of us who are Christians, and particularly those who have been Christians for a really long time. So we just sort of lost our awe, right? We're just not paying attention anymore. Uh, you know, some, something's, something's missing, right? It's, we, we know the story, and we understand, you know, it's, but it's, it's just all too familiar. And so we look at this God, and I'm, yeah, he's big, and he's huge, and Look at his plan of redemption and the lengths that he's gone to rescue us and it all just feels a little bit vanilla. It's boring. We've heard it before. And we're kind of like the, the person who um, buys a, a mountain cabin and just just imagine this for a second, like a huge window and overlooking just an incredible landscape, right? And, and for a while when they first move in there, every time they walk by the window, they cannot help but stop for a moment and just look out the window. But we all know what happens, right? Over time, we, it just becomes a little bit less interesting. Right? Even that, right? And you begin to, to not notice. And in fact, there are times when you just forget to open the curtains altogether. That's, that's me. That's, that's where my risk is. We, we've lost our, our sense of, of wonder. And this morning, we, we want to pull back the curtains. Uh, we we want to slow down. We want to pay attention. We want to take a deep breath together. And I'm actually, I'm gonna read all of Psalm 104 for us. And let me even just warn you while I do that, it's gonna feel at one point like I'm reading the entire Bible, okay? Um, it's, it's long, um, but soak in it. Let these, let these words fill you. And even, even as you listen, there's a lot that we can listen for, but one thing in particular, listen for the fact that our God works harder than anybody else. We love achievement, right? We love accomplishment in our society. No one works harder than he And you can listen to him as the artist, as the architect, the gardener, chef, zookeeper, astronomer, marine biologist, the ultimate boss of everything. So let's pull back the curtains and hear from Psalm 104. Let me read uh, beginning in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beam of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it at, with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. That your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains and the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock. And plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth. And wine to gladden the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine. and Bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. And then man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here's the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their, their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So why is God, our God, really worth all this trouble? Well, three things here. First, right, we mentioned it right at the start, that no one works harder than him. I mean, did you catch that, right? All, all the activities, I mean, just everything, everywhere that he is guiding and, and responsible for. That like God is always working. I love to. the psalmist highlights our work as well. Uh, and rightfully, we take pride in our work and the things that we accomplish. The, the work that you do matters and yet it is ultimately God who is working and he has essentially done or is doing everything. He never stops. And you and I, when we go to work, we get to join him in that work, the work that he's been doing for eternity. I mean, even, even as, as the psalmist goes, right, did you, did you catch all of it? I mean, he's the artist, starts off, right? The artist, the architect, the construction worker, the engineer, like all of it for planet Earth. That he built up the mountains and he sank down the valleys, that so he gives water to every animal, that he oversees every crop, every fruit tree, every blade of grass, everything that he has made. And not just for fuel. I mean, did you catch that? I, you know, I love that. And you probably would know that about me. Um, like, we should praise God for this, this food that we're able to bring out of the earth. And wine to gladden the heart of man. My seminary professor uh, told us once that whenever he reads that verse, he'd always uh, kind of finish it. He'd, you know, wine that gladdens the heart of man. Uh, and I'll drink to That's how we'd always, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen his heart. It's abundance, it's delight, it's pleasure, cheers, bon appetit, rejoice. He's built a forest as a home for the birds. I mean, he he cares for the stork. Like, who who cares, right? But he does. Even the wild goat. The rock badgers, right? The lions, he says. And I... I love going to the zoo. I, mean, I just, I always have. It's one of my, I mean, I love it more than my kids love going. I'm always like, hey, kids, let's go to the zoo. And they're like, all right, yeah, sure. I love going to the zoo because, I mean, for me, it, it's a worship experience, right? Because, I mean, what kind of God invents the ostrich, right? Or the elephant or the tiger? I want to I meet a God like that, right? With that kind of incredible creativity. The consistency of the moon to mark the seasons, the routine and the beauty of the sunrise and sunset, even the sea creatures, which this is remarkable for for the psalmist, right? For us, you know, we understand a whole lot more about the sea than the psalmist did, but think about the psalmist and his contemporaries. That's 2,500 to 3,000 years ago. For them, the sea is, often in Scripture, it's a symbol of chaos, of darkness, of, of evil. It's a place they know nothing about but are afraid of, Right? I mean, that's, that's essentially what it is. But the psalmist says, even there, those creatures, even Leviathan, which is the ultimate like, symbol of, of chaos, whether it's literal or metaphorical, it's kind of the, the, the big, bad monster of the sea. They're Nessie, right? He says, even, even that thing that we're afraid of, even in the sea, God, that's your plaything. It's your pet you formed to, to frolic in it, God everything looks to you everything lives or dies on your command no one works harder no one has a bigger job description and if if that's true then nothing on earth could possibly compare with him nothing right i mean if if any of this is true is that, and I, true and I, I realize you may not be there right you might you might not believe this you might deeply wrestle with this and frankly uh we all struggle with our our doubts when it comes to these kinds of things don't we But if he has done this and is doing all this, then nothing on earth could possibly compare with him. I mean, he's got to be greater than the stuff that he made. I mean, for example, we all know the mess right now that it is uh, K10, 435, I-35. I mean, it's just a colossal mess, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and almost every single time I drive through there, I do there with, I do so with my mouth just hanging open, right? And wonder, and really just hoping that somebody has a clue, right? I mean, do you ever do, because it's, there's I mean, bridges and, and hanging and cranes and all these on-ramps and off-ramps. And I'm, I'm trying to, like, figure out how it all works, but I have no idea. And so I'm just, I'm hoping, right, that there's somebody out there who, who understands. Because it's got to be perfect. And right now, it's just a mess. And yet, I, I want to, I, I, I literally think about this as I'm driving. I'd love to like see that person's office, right? Because I, I imagine a wall like as big as this room just full of, you know, the to-do list because it's, it's that massive, that unbelievable. And just think about how brilliant that person or those individuals are to be able to oversee a project of that sort of colossal nature. It just, it blows me away, right? And when the psalmist looks at the wonders and beauty and pleasure, and joys of the earth. He assumes there must be a God to praise for these things. It's just, it's too much for him. And God made a good world, which means he must be even greater. He made a beautiful world, which means he must be even more beautiful. And scholars point out, that the psalmist here, he's he's not simply looking out his window in rapture, though I think he's definitely doing that as he surveys creation, but most point out that he's, he's really meditating on Genesis 1. But this is his own reflection on, on this God who, who invents out of nothing, who has made all that we see, who, who's created it for himself. He made it, sustains it, rules over it. Every beauty, every joy, every pleasure, and every love, they all belong to him. Why would I possibly worship what he's made rather than the one who's made it? Nothing on earth compares. And the third thing to me, I want to, I want to draw this out. This is a little bit more subtle in the text. Um, but nothing in heaven competes with him. Not just on, on earth, right? But no other gods or worldviews could possibly come close. And maybe you're thinking, if you're listening closely to the text or you've got your Bibles up, I mean, how, how is that there, right? Maybe, maybe you're not seeing it. I understand that. It's not, it's not explicit, at least not to us. Uh, but to those who are fluent in ancient Near Eastern literature, anybody? Um, yeah, I didn't think so. Um, me neither, right? Uh, but I've read some of, some of their work. Uh, they all point out how, how obvious this would have been in that culture. That in this hymn of praise, Psalm 104, there are echoes of lots of other hymns to lots of other gods of all the other cultures surrounding the Israelites, The psalmist, I mean, I've looked at the comparisons, like even uses some of the same language, the same images, some of the same phrases and words as the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Canaanites. They all say that it was Shamash who did this, or Aten or Marduk or Baal or Ptah or Nun, that they did all those things. But the psalmist, with great delight, with confidence, says, no. No, this was our God who did this. It It was Yahweh, the Lord, Ten times his, his proper name is used throughout Psalm 104, Yahweh, it's translated in our Bibles as, as Lord in all caps. The psalmist wants us to know that not only is God the greatest worker, not only is he beyond compare in his own creation, that no other gods could possibly compete with him. And always, certainly we want to be sensitive, other religions, absolutely. we want to be merciful and gracious to those with different backgrounds and, and understanding of these things, and yet at the same time we've the psalmist wants us to recognize we're not all worshiping the same God. That not all paths lead in the same direction. He doesn't want us to miss that this, it's this God who's done this. That our, our God, the one that we ought to be humbled and amazed that we get to worship and proclaim that he, he is the one who made it all and holds it all in his hands. But how do we actually do it? I mean, for some of us, you've heard these things before. There's no, no big surprises here. But how do, we, how do we learn the language of adoration? There's no easy path. There's no one-size-fits-all. And even, even in this psalm, right, he sings it, he meditates it, he uh, rejoices it, he even anticipates, right? All these kinds of things. And it's not going to look the same for all of us. But let me just give three Simple tips uh, to my fellow strugglers here. Particularly if you're if you're new at this, trying to learn this language. First. First, we've we've got to let every attempt be fueled by scripture. By by what we read here. Not what we imagine. Not what we think about this this God. Not what we pretend is, is real or not real or expect or think that he should or should not be. But fueled by by scripture. I mean, if you, if you don't know how to praise God, start here. That's why we're in the Psalms. We're, we're trying to grab onto the language the psalmist uses in this ancient prayer book to make it ours. Uh, and if you're new, just start there. Read, read these Psalms and turn these words. Make them your own. Maybe add some of your own. Maybe, maybe not, but allow, allow these words to become your own worship. And, and not only, I mean, that, that's, what, that's what the psalmist is doing, right, with Genesis 1. He's taking what he knows to be true of God's word, and he's turning it into a prayer of praise before his God. And, and not only is this an easy way to get started, it also helps ensure that we're actually worshiping God, right? Not, not just the one that we imagine. Not, not the, the guy upstairs who just pats us on the back and always says, boy," but the, the one who is beyond our personalities, beyond our cultural understanding, the one who exists outside of time and space, but who has spoken to us. Start with his words. Second, especially as you're, as you're learning, this is like a really practical little tip, maybe a great step for, for this week. Um, try this out for a while. Let every request start with praise. Because we have plenty that we're asking God to do. I mean, a lot of us do any, anyway. You've, you've got maybe, maybe you actually have a, a list or, or maybe you don't, but we kind of have our, our mental rundown of God. Would you do this? Would you do this? Would you do this? Would you do this? You do this? okay go do it, you know, and yeah, we, we kind of send him on, a, on, his, on his merry way, um, and God wants us to bring a request to him, right, that we can't ask this, this being to intervene into our stories, and yet try, try this, root every request, everything you ask him to do, try it just for, even just for a week, root it in praise. Well, let me, let me give a couple examples of that. And instead of si- simply saying, God, would you heal my friend, right, which how often do we end up praying that, right, God, heal my friend, Maybe instead begin with, God, you are the healer. You are powerful. You hold everything, even our bodies together. God, would you heal my friend? Or, or you know, when we think of, of, our, of our relationships with others, you know, God, you, you are the redeemer. You are the reconciler. so much so that you know how to reconcile sinful man to yourself. God, if you can do that, would you please redeem my relationships? Would you please reconcile me with my spouse? God, God, you, I know, you love my kids more than I possibly could. God, would, would, you, would you keep them close to you? And this is an easy place for us to learn that, that discipline. And a, kind of a side bonus of this as well is that it helps kind of keep our requests in check, doesn't it? Um, like, am I asking God to do stuff that actually fits in his character? Right? Are my requests that actually fit up with the, what I know about this God that's revealed here? Because if... If you're asking for stuff that doesn't fit his character, I mean, knock it off, right? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, right? And so let, let every request start with, with praise. Finally, and this is, this is my favorite for me personally. Um, I forget to do it most times, and yet when I remember, there's such, there's such joy for me, at least, in this place. Let every pleasure end with praise. Every pleasure Every smile, every good thing, big things, small things, boring things—you know—massive, awesome thing, right? Let it, let it end. Let it end with praise. Uh, and so, for example, for me, again, kind of the food thing. To, to God, what kind of a God is—is is this that created a world in which a place like In-N-Out cheeseburgers can exist, right? or Giordano's pizza, or, or, or Joe's Kansas. I mean, I'm serious, right? That, to say, God, you have given these, these gifts. Or maybe, you know what, I, I, I don't know why, but I hadn't had a good night's sleep in a couple of weeks, maybe, maybe even a month. And I had one on Friday. I don't, I don't know why or whatever. Um, but Friday, I was, oh, such a good night's sleep. And, and to wake up, just rejoice that, God, you give sleep give us rest. I mean, the sunrise and sunset, right? Something we see every single day. Do you see the sunrise this morning? Man, it was beautiful. God, you, you are more beautiful even, actually, it was over this way. Uh, Even, even more beautiful than the sunrise this morning, God. A child's smile. The gift of laughter that it is. I mean, it's mundane. Every, I mean, it's, it's wine that gladdens the heart of man, right? Or or maybe even a good microbrew, right? all of those things that we are so prone to worship instead of God? Because that's how we do it, right? Every one of those things I mentioned, those, that's what I want to end up worshiping. I, I give my life to those. I say, satisfy me, please me, let me build my life upon you. But instead of, instead of doing that, allow those things to fuel your praise to the one who's given them to you, to remind you, oh, with every moment of pleasure, every moment of delight, God, you are you are a God who gives those kinds of gifts to your people, undeserving, and yet, God, I, I delight in you because of them, and we, we thank him, we rejoice that he, he has allowed us to know him, to praise him for them, and when we learn to worship, not instantly, there's no quick fix, but when we do, he begins to reorder our loves. And it takes practice, it takes discipline, but when we command our souls to worship Him and say, no, it's Him that I, that I want to praise, it's not these, it's it always reorient. It begins, it begins to reorient those loves, to reorder them for us, and we get a brand new confidence and joy that this, this is our God. But you know it also humbles us? You can't miss this at the end, right? He, he's praising God, this, this God who looks at the earth and it trembles, he touches the mountains and they smoke, and then Quickly, you realize, just like the psalmist, that something doesn't quite fit on the good earth God made. Did you catch that at the end while I was reading? Something that abuses, something that destroys, something that takes it for granted, that fails to worship. And so understandably, maybe it caught you off guard uh, at first, but I think it makes absolute sense that the psalmist there in that moment declares, let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. It's like the psalmist is looking out at the the world: trees, flowers, plants, mountains, sinners. And one of these is not quite like the other. One of these doesn't give God His rightful due. One of these takes instead of gives. One of these looks for self-glory rather than, than, than God's glories. One of these just doesn't quite delight in Him. It doesn't belong. That'd be me. Because try as, as I might, my loves are regularly misordered. I worship things in the wrong places, in the wrong ways, time and, and time again. And I am so enamored with the gifts that God gives, rather than with who He who He is. And yeah, I'm, I'm making progress. I'm growing. I, I'm changing. I, I believe that it, that is true. And yet, this is this is still me. And this, people, this is my greatest problem. It's not those other things, right, that, that get in the way that I think so often are my gra- My greatest problem is that I, I cannot worship the one for whom I was created. Or I, at least I cannot do it as, as I should. I cannot join in this eternal dance of worship before this God. That's, that's my problem. And yet, rather than abandon us, rather than consume us, God has come to get us. He's come to do in us what we could never do for ourselves. Not by trying harder, by gritting our teeth, by, by being good enough or nice enough. He has come to make perfect worshipers of us all, which is our highest joy. It's the thing for which we were created. It's, if you're a follower of, of Christ, it's the work he's begun in you. It's the work that he promises to complete. For Jesus was consumed on our behalf. He was destroyed on the cross for our sins. For every misordered love, for every self-centered act of, of worship. He took away all those the sins. He bore them on himself. And so that means, if you're a follower of Christ, that even, even your most broken praise is still a delight to our Father. I mean, that, that our God is like a loving Father who, who's watching his young child take his first clumsy step. I mean, it's messy, Right? It's far from what it should be. I mean, you kidding me, kid, right? And yet he beams with pride at his children. At every step that we take in faith, he rejoices in who we are. Did you catch verse 31? It's the last thing I'll say, but this is probably my favorite verse in this whole chapter. He says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. You see what's happening there? I mean, the psalmist is even telling God to worship God. God, I... I sure hope you're sitting back and enjoying this. God, I hope, I hope you're rejoicing in what you have made and in your plan of redemption for all of, God, I, I hope you take delight in what you have done and what you're doing. I mean, can you see it? I mean, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit beaming with pride, pride in their creation, singing with joy over all of their redemption, making worshipers out of their children, out of us all. That is what we get to join in. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, we need forgiveness. God, I need it. God, I know that even, even as I stand here after saying these words, even if I, as I walk out of this room, so quickly those other things are gonna crowd you out. And I'm going to turn once again to worshiping what you've given me instead of, instead of who you are as the great giver. God, I pray for your forgiveness. And God, I pray that, that you would do the work of putting our loves back together. Uh, that we would, we would know what that looks like and that you, you would do what we cannot do, that you would make perfect worshipers out of all. So we believe that that's what you're doing through Jesus. And God, We rejoice that in the meantime, because we know that's where we're headed, that we will one day be perfect worshipers before you, whole. And yet in the meantime, God, our Father, we are so grateful that you are like a dad who looks down on his children and takes delight in every attempt, every feeble effort, that you you applaud us on and you encourage and you continue to push us even, even when we fall, even when we falter, that we have a God who loves us like that. And we know that's because of Jesus. And so Jesus, thank you. Thank you for taking our sins, taking our inability to worship and giving us yours. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd help us to do that now as we continue in your presence. Amen.